Well, have I told you lately how much I love Memphis barbecue? When Claire and I moved up to this area from North Florida and I had my first taste of Memphis barbecue, I was hooked. Pulled pork, ribs, I mean, you name it. I I love it. And I believe that Memphis barbecue has the best barbecue in the nation. I know there's brisket down in Texas and Kansas City has their thing going and North Carolina has their thing going, but I believe that Memphis barbecue is the absolute best barbecue in the land. I believe that. And I want to encourage you, if you've never tried Memphis barbecue, try it. Maybe after we're through today, go to lunch, get some barbecue, go to the senior adults on Tuesday, all right? But I want you, I want you to go get some and try some, and then tell other folks how good it is so they can have some Memphis barbecue too. I mean, this, this stuff is amazing. I love it. Now, you know what I was just doing? Evangelism. I had experienced something wonderful, and I wanted others to know about it. And I was persuading others to experience what I had experienced. That's evangelism. And all of us are evangelists. All of us. Some of us are football evangelists. We love to share things about our team. Some of us are restaurant evangelists. I ate at this restaurant, it was great. You want to tell other people, they'll eat there too. Some of us are movie evangelists. I, I went to this movie, it was really good, I'm a movie buff, and you need to go see this movie, it's wonderful, great. Some of us are family evangelists. We love to talk about our kids or our grandkids. And, and all of us have something that we love to share with others. But what I want to drive home into your life today is that the most important thing that we ought to share is the good news about Jesus Christ. That should be at the top of our priority list as far as what we ought to share with others. Because there's no better news than the news that Jesus saves sinners. So I want to talk to you today from God's Word about sharing Jesus. Look with me, Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, we're going to continue our study line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful New Testament letter. Colossians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 2 and read down through verse 6. I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Anybody hungry for some barbecue now after that? No, you're not going to hear another word I say, are you? Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. The Bible says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now, we studied those Verses last week, we talked about a call to prayer. Verse 5, Paul says, Walk in wisdom 
toward outsiders. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are, we are so grateful, Lord, for your presence. We're so grateful, Lord, for your word. And we're so grateful for this opportunity to gather together as a faith family. And sing praises to your name and hear you speak to us through your word. And so, Father, I pray that you would move in our lives. Holy Spirit of God, would you sweep across this room and take the word of God and and apply it to our lives. Open our eyes that we may understand it better. Give us the wherewithal, the grace, the power, the wisdom, the strength to live it. We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We desire to be doers of the word. So Lord, would you, would you accomplish that in our midst today? Establish my steps in your word. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As Paul winds down his letter to the church in Colossae, written in the first century, he wants to say a couple of important things before he gets to the conclusion. He wants to leave them with some important reminders. Last week we saw Paul's call to prayer. He directed them to pray with diligence and to pray with gratitude and to pray with alertness and he asked them last week to pray for open doors for him to share the gospel we talked last week about missional prayer Paul asked them to pray for open doors for gospel clarity gospel urgency and gospel boldness but in verse 5 we see a shift verse 5 he begins to talk about the relationship of the Christians in Colossae with outsiders now very quickly outsiders speaks of those who were lost and far from Jesus. The, the word outsider speaks of those who were not yet in the family of God. They were not yet a part of the church in Colossae. But isn't it interesting that Paul is concerned with how they interact with outsiders? Because you understand, don't you, that God doesn't want outsiders to stay outsiders. He wants outsiders to find life and salvation and transformation and hope in Jesus and become a part of the family of God. And so there's this shift here. Paul, Paul's saying, hey, pray for me as I share the gospel in Rome. Pray for me as I am a, a missionary on the front lines of losses. But then he shifts in verse 5 to say, but oh, remember, you've got some responsibility too in Colossae. I, I'm sharing the gospel over here in Rome. You need to be concerned with sharing the gospel with outsiders in Colossae. In other words, listen, missions begins at home. We, we give a lot of money to send out missionaries. We send out mission teams all the time, and, and, and that's wonderful. We, we put folks on the front lines to share the gospel in North America and all around the world. But we need to understand that we are called to be missionaries right where God has us here. And yes, we want the gospel to spread uh, among unreached people groups and in frontier areas in North America. But we also want the gospel to spread in Hernando, right? And Paul's saying, pray for me in Rome, but you do your job in Colossae. Missions begins in your community. Christians are clearly called 
to share their faith. They're clearly called to share Jesus because we are commanded to make disciples. Followers of Jesus. And people cannot become followers of Jesus without hearing the gospel. Let me say it again. People cannot become followers of Jesus without hearing the gospel. And we're the ones that are called to share that message. So what I want to do is I want to give you five aspects from God's word this morning concerning sharing Christ. Five aspects concerning sharing the Lord with others. Number one, and this goes back to what we talked about last week, but I want to just reiterate. Pray for open doors. Pray for open doors. Paul uh, asked them to pray for him. That God would open up a door, verse 3, for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So Paul's saying, I'm a missionary, I'm on the front lines, would you pray that God would open up doors so I could walk through those doors and share the gospel. That God would give me some, some divine appointments so I can share the good news. And surely, if we're going to pray for open doors for our missionaries, we ought to pray for open doors for ourselves, right? As we think about sharing Christ, we ought to pray because prayer is, is vital. It's important because of the supernatural aspect of conversion. You see, only God can save a soul. Right? You don't save anybody. I don't save anybody. Only God saves. And so there's a supernatural aspect to conversion. So before we go out sharing the message, we want to pray that God would accompany that message with His power. And listen, only Spirit-filled people will be effective witnesses. So we ought to pray that God would fill us with His Spirit, that God would open up doors so we can have the wherewithal we need to share the gospel when we have those opportunities. Over in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is speaking to His disciples and He says, The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Notice the order there. The Holy Spirit gives you the power, the wisdom, and then you go and share Jesus. You have to have the Holy Spirit to share Jesus effectively, filling up your life. And so there's a supernatural aspect when it comes to sharing Christ. So let me give you a little statement that I think will really help you to to nail this down. Before you talk to men about God, talk to God about men. Before you talk to men about God, before you go and share your faith, before you share Jesus Christ, make sure you spend some time talking to God about those you're going to share with. Asking God for those divine appointments, those those open doors, those opportunities to share Christ. Pray for open doors. Let me give you another aspect of sharing Jesus. Make the most of the opportunities God gives you. Make the most of the opportunities God gives you. In other words, when you pray for open doors and you see one, take advantage of that open door. Look what the Bible says in verse 5. Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And how do you do that? Making the best use of the time. So he's saying here we ought to walk, live in such a way that we are wise. Now I want you to understand that God's wisdom is not given to you just to make your life better and more fulfilling. God doesn't want you to to pursue wisdom and acquire his wisdom just so you can have a better life. 
His wisdom is intended in large part to make you more effective at sharing Jesus. God gives you wisdom to impact others. But I don't believe that. Let me read for you Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. The Bible says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Whoever captures souls is wise. So if there's a soul, a person headed for eternity in hell, and their life is intersected by you sharing the good news, and they embrace Christ their Savior, they turn off of that road headed to hell and begin to follow Jesus on that road that leads to eternal life, you have, in effect, rescued a soul. And he's saying there, if you're a rescuer of souls, you're wise. You're applying God's wisdom to how you interact with those who were not of the faith. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3 speaks of the unfolding end time scenario. But listen to this verse. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Notice the parallelism. Those who are wise and those who turn many to righteousness uh, speak of the same the same person, the same type of people. To be wise is to be someone that turns someone towards the Lord. That's what it means to be wise. So what does walking in wisdom look like? Listen to me. Walking in wisdom means that your life is oriented toward outsiders. Your life is oriented toward outsiders. I'm going to read you this quote from John Piper, and it's a longer quote, but it is powerful and it is convicting. Piper writes, Christianity is a soul-winning, outreaching, mind-persuading, heart-entreating, rescuing missionary faith, or it is not true Christianity. Listen, there is no true Christianity without an attempt to share the gospel. He goes on to say, we need to be reminded of this because it is almost incredible how listless we can become while calling ourselves Christians. He writes, little by little, our whole orientation can become inward. We can go for months and years and not think about those who perish. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you thought about someone perishing? When's the last time you prayed for someone that's lost and far from God? Piper writes, We become so dull and spiritually callous that we don't even ask if we believe in hell or lostness or the preciousness of Christ and the power of the cross and the freeness of the gospel and the command of Jesus. We just, listen, go about our in-house religious business like a medical clinic that sees fewer and fewer patients and has more and more staff meetings until there's nothing left but a smooth-running program for the doctors and nurses and their families. That is what happens to many churches. Wow. You know what Piper's saying there? He's saying that many churches, instead of being a hospital for sinners, become just a clinic for the family. And churches and and believers can become very inward and stop thinking about those who are outsiders. We can become spiritually callous towards those who are lost and, and far from God. And Paul here says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Walking in wisdom means you are looking for and taking advantage of opportunities that God gives. You're on the lookout 
to impact lost folks with the gospel. That's what it means to be wise, to walk in wisdom. Now the word translated there in verse 5, making the best use of the time, is the word exagorazo, and it's a, a compound word in the Greek language which means out of, by, or buy out of. It's a word that's translated sometimes in the New Testament as the word redeem, to buy back, to, to purchase something so it can be your own. And so Paul here is saying, redeem, buy up the time. When you see an open door, when you see an opportunity, buy it up, make it your own, take advantage of it. It was an idiom that, that came to, to mean, make the best use of the time you've been given. Make the most of every opportunity. It means, listen, that you're constantly thinking about lost people and thinking about how to engage them with the gospel. That's what this word means. And so, you say, wait, how do I share Jesus? You've got to pray for open doors, and you've got to look for opportunity. Listen, if you ask God for open doors, do you think he's going to open up some doors? Yeah, so look. Be on the lookout. And when the door is open, step through that door and take advantage of the opportunity. That's what Paul is saying here. But there's a third aspect to sharing Jesus. you got to know what to say. Know what to say. you got to know the good news. you got to know how to share the good news. Let me ask you a quick question. If someone came to you and said, tell me how to be saved... Would you know what to say? Or if someone came to you and said, explain the gospel, would you know what to say? Well, I want to give you a very simple, I think sometimes we overcomplicate things. I want to give you a very simple gospel outline that's just four words. If you can learn these four words, you can share the gospel. You ready? Here's the first word. The first word is God. Everyone say God. God. You start... By talking about God. You don't start by talking about the person you're talking to. You start by talking about God. Over in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So you start by talking about God. God is the creator of everything. God is good. And God is perfect. Just that simple. God is the creator of everything. God is good and God is perfect. People need to understand it because if they don't understand that God made them and that God is perfect, they won't understand the bad news, which means they won't embrace the good news. You start with God. And this is becoming more important in our society because our society is becoming more and more secular and, and, and we're going to talk to a lot of folks right here in the Bible Belt that don't know the story. They don't know the big picture. So you start with God. He created us. He's good. He's perfect. He's holy. You start with Him. And then the second word is the word man. Everyone say man. There's a problem. And the problem is us. Romans 3, 10 and 11 says... None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. So God created us. He created us for a relationship with himself, but we've all sinned against that God. Because of that, we are separated from God, and we deserve punishment. 
We deserve to go to that awful place called hell. We're far from God. We're lost and in our sins. And everyone apart from Christ is in that condition. Listen, everyone in this room has done something God's told you not to do. Including Pastor Wade. And everyone in this room has not done something God has told you to do. Correct? Am I the only sinner in the room or are there there others out there? We've all sinned, the Bible says it, and fallen short of the glory of God. Wait, how many righteous people are there? There is none that are righteous. No, not one, Romans 3.10. So we all had this same problem. God made us. He desires relationship with us, but we've rebelled against him. We've sinned against him, and our sin separates us from God. But there's a third word, and by the way, I'm so glad there's a third word. Aren't you glad it doesn't end with the bad news? The third word is the word Christ. Everyone say Christ. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Oh, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you talk about God and you talk about man and our sin, our universal sin, but then you talk about Jesus. And, and, And if you're a follower of Christ, you have enough information to talk about Jesus. Jesus, because of his love for us, came to this earth, right? And Jesus lived a perfect life. And Jesus went to the cross. And the Bible says when he went to the cross, he took all of our sin on himself. And then he died for our sin. He paid the penalty that we deserve to pay. He took the wrath of God, the punishment of God that we deserve. Then after he died on the cross, he was buried. And early on that Sunday morning, what happened? What happened? We sang it earlier. He, he rose from the grave. He defeated death. So that's the good news. Jesus came and died for your sins. And he defeated death itself. That's the good news. Tell people what Jesus Christ has done. That's the gospel. The Bible says, the gospel is 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and early on the third day, he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. That's the good news. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And everyone can share that. There's a fourth word here. God, man, Christ, response. Everyone say response. I want you to understand That it's not enough for you to just know facts about Jesus. You've got to respond to what you've heard about Jesus. A personal response. Your mom can't save you. Your dad can't save you. Your godly grandmother or grandfather can't save you. You are personally responsible for what you do with Jesus. You say, wait, how do I respond? I I know about God creating. I know he's good. I know he's holy. I I know that I've blown. I know that I've sinned. I know what Jesus Christ has done. How do I respond to that? Well, in Acts chapter 20, verse 21, we see Paul's message, how he called for response during his missionary journeys. It says there, he testified both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord 
Jesus Christ. How do you respond to the good news? Repentance and faith. Repentance is you recognize you're a sinner. You recognize you're going the wrong direction. You recognize the path you're on leads in des- ends in destruction. And so you want to turn. You don't want to be on that path anymore. That's repentance. Faith is you embrace Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You believe that what Jesus did for you, dying on the cross and rising from the dead, you believe that what Jesus did for you is your only hope. You believe you can't save yourself. You believe you need a rescuer, a redeemer, and Jesus is that rescuer. You place your faith in him, and how do you express that faith? You call on his name. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved, Romans 10, 9. Romans 10, 13, everyone, 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 everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, that whoever, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Response. It's not enough to just know some things about Jesus. It's not enough to be a a Baptist or a church member. You've got to personally respond to what Christ has done for you. You repent. You say, I don't want to go this direction anymore. And you place your faith in Christ. He's your only hope. You call on his name. You want him to forgive you. And you want him to rule your life. That's saving faith. That's how you respond to the gospel. And listen to me. All of you can do what I just did. God. Man. Christ. Response. God, man, Christ response. That's how you share the good news. You've got to know what to say. So learn that outline. God, man, Christ response. Learn the verses I have on there. Learn some other verses. But, but be prepared when the door is opened by God. When you have that divine opportunity that God has set up. Know what to say. Talk about Jesus. Listen. They can't fix themselves. Talk about Jesus. Amen? Know what to say. But here's the fourth thing. Know how to say it. Not only do we need to know what to say, we need to know how to say it. Verse 6, he says, let your speech always be gracious. That word speech is the word logos, the same word he uses in verse 3 when he says, pray that we may have an open door to declare the word. Word and speech are the same word in the Greek, logos. This speaks of the saving message. So know what your logos, know your message, know your logos, God, man, Christ response. But, but Paul is concerned that we know how to say what we're supposed to say. Look what he says. Let your speech always be gracious. That's the first thing. Share the gospel with gracious speech. Gracious speech. I I want you to understand today that Christianity is all about grace. If you're in here and you've been saved, it's not because you're good. And it's not because you figured out some things no one else has figured out. It's because you've encountered God's saving grace. I don't deserve to be saved. You don't deserve to be saved. We deserve hell. But God graciously intersected our lives. Amen? 
And if we have encountered the grace of God, don't you think graciousness should be in our speech? If we have embraced the grace of Jesus, don't you think we should communicate grace to others? See, sometimes in our sharing, we can become know-it-alls. And act like we've got it all put together, right? And we approach somebody and we look down on them. And we want to talk more about their sin than the solution. And we want to... We want to we ignore them or shun them because of their background or what they've done or what they're doing. And we don't get to the point that Jesus saves. Listen to me. When, you, uh, when you're talking to someone that's in a mess, remember there was a time when you were in a mess too. When you talk to someone that is far from God, remember there was a time in your life when you were far from God too. And don't encourage them to fix their mess and then get serious about Jesus because it doesn't work that way. You, you don't clean up your life to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus to clean up your life. So speak to them with grace. Point them to the grace, the mercy, the love of God. Let your speech be filled with graciousness. And then secondly, as we think about how to say what we say, Share the gospel with appealing and compelling speech. Look what the Bible says there in verse 5. Sorry, verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Now what does that mean? Well, we know that when food is not seasoned, it is bland and unappetizing. And I think it's possible, I want you to hear me. I think it's possible to talk about spiritual things in a bland, unappetizing way. F.F. Bruce writes this, Those who are the salt of the earth may reasonably be expected to have some savor about their language. In pagan usage, salt in such a context means wit. Interesting, compelling, appealing. R. Kent Hughes writes this, This conversation, the gospel, is never insipid or boring. In fact, it is seasoned with salt. Salty, savory, scintillating, not the dull sanctimonious vocabulary that seems to be demanded in some church circles. It is thoughtful speech, words with content. It is joyful, even witty, for this is what salty speech meant in classical Greek. In other words, if you're not that excited about Jesus, you're going to communicate that when you talk about Jesus. And if you're not radically in love with Jesus, you're going to communicate that when you talk about Jesus. And people are not going to be that impressed with your Jesus. So you say, wait, how do I talk about Jesus? How do I share Jesus in a salty way, a savory way, an appealing way, a compelling way? Here it is, you ready? The best way to speak about Jesus in an appealing way is to delight in Him daily. When you walk with Jesus daily, when you love Jesus, talking about Him will not be difficult. It will not seem unnatural or forced. It will just be a part of who you are. And people get that. They get that. 
So the best way to have salty speech, savory speech, is to daily delight in Jesus. Treasure Him. Walk with Him. Talk with Him. And as you do that, as that relationship grows, sharing Jesus will just overflow from your life. It won't be forced. It'll be compelling. Because people will hear you and know that you're talking about something you truly experienced. Right? Was there any doubt in this room that I had truly experienced Memphis barbecue? I mean, it just came natural, right? Because it it's delicious. I love it. But shouldn't we talk the same way about Jesus and, and to an even greater degree? And so we, not, we need to know what to say. We need to know how to say it. Let me give you a fifth thought and we'll be through. One final thing. Five aspects of sharing Jesus. Pray for open doors. Make the most of the opportunities God gives you. Know what to say. Know how to say it. Fifth and last, be ready with biblical answers to outsiders' questions. Verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Then turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. As you think about answering each person, 1 Peter Chapter 3, verse 15. Peter writes, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So always be ready to give an answer, reason, for the hope that you have, that an outsider does not have. You see, if we live wisely and speak graciously, we can expect that the lost will eventually ask us spiritual questions. Sometimes the open door will be a lost person coming and asking you a question. In other words, if we demonstrate a love for Jesus with our life and our lips, you can expect that sometimes, somewhere, someone's going to come to you and ask you about your relationship with him. You may be in your workplace and you're the only one that reads your Bible on lunch break. You're the only one that, you're the only one that prays before you eat. You're the only one that talks about church attendance and, and being active in a church family. And other people scoff at you and laugh at you and, and, and snicker at you behind your back. And you know that. But hear me, when the wheels fall off of one of your co-workers' lives and their life begins to crumble around them, guess who they're going to want to talk to? The person that has peace with God. The person that has real hope. They're going to want to talk to you. And they'll come ask you questions if they see it in your life. You, you may be in your school, you know, middle school, high school, college classes, and, and, and you seem like you're the only, it seems like you're the only one that is trying to walk with Jesus and love Jesus and follow Jesus and read your Bible and pray and, and be a person that, that is committed to Christ. And others laugh at you and others scoff at you. And, and, and on this Sunday morning, you're here singing and praising and, and, and listening to God's word. And they're, you know, they're having another Saturday morning doing their own thing. But I want you to hear me. 
when the wheels fall off, they are going to want to find someone that knows the Lord. Because they are going to be desperate for answers. And when those times come, be ready to to share truth with them from God's word. Be ready because those times will come if you walk with Jesus. I read a great book about evangelism by a gentleman named C. John Miller. And decades ago, this young man was was saved. He, He was an atheist. And through a series of circumstances, he came to know the Lord, radically, gloriously saved by Jesus. And he went to San Francisco to find a job so that he could save up some money to go to to college. When he got there, he found a boarding house. And he went to uh, the gentleman that owned the home and he said, can I I board here? And And the man said, the only way you can board here is if you will cook breakfast for all the other residents. There were about 13 other men in the house. And so that's how, he got the, that's how he got his first job, cooking breakfast there in the boarding house. Then he cooked breakfast and go off to another job and, and come back. And, and, and the men that were in this boarding house, were, were, they were a rough crew. And in this book, he tells many different stories about these different men. But, but two stories in particular stuck out to me. One was about a man named Mel. Mel was always drinking, always, always under the influence of alcohol and John Miller was just trying to walk with Jesus. He'd sit down at the dining room table and read his Bible. He prayed, prayed for others, tried to treat people with kindness and graciousness. One day, Mel walked by under the influence of alcohol and said, Why do you read that Bible all the time? What's in there? He asked him the question. And John Miller talked to minute about his relationship with God and he's studying to learn how to grow in his faith and he said if you want to we'll anytime you want we'll sit down and study God's word together he didn't think any more about it one one evening well one early morning about two in the morning John Miller sound asleep in his bed he heard this this running down the hall and all of a sudden his door burst open and it was Mel and Mel had been drinking and Mel said I'm ready to study the Bible Well, this young John Miller kicked him out and said, tomorrow. And they got together and began to walk through the book of Romans. And guess what happened? Mel met Jesus and was gloriously saved. And he came asking the questions because he saw something in that young man's life. There's another man that uh, Miller tells about, a man named Big John, is what everyone called him, Big Burly Fella. And Big John was a critic. And every morning he would complain about the food that John Miller cooked. Toast was burnt, eggs were runny, I mean, you name it. And he would just criticize, criticize, criticize. Well, one day John Miller had had enough, he blew up. He said, I'm tired of you criticizing my cooking. And and he spoke to him really harshly and stormed out of the room. Then he thought, you know, I shouldn't have lost my cool like that. And so he went back to find Big John. He said, I want to apologize for losing my temper. I I shouldn't have been like that. I shouldn't have lost my cool. And Big John said, no, you were exactly right. I have been a I have been a critic. And every day I criticize you and you don't, you don't answer back to me. 
How do you do that? Question. Well, he began to study Romans with Big John. And guess what? Big John gave his life to Jesus. See what happens when your lips and your life point to Jesus? Other people are going to start asking questions. Open door to share God, man, Christ response.